another exciting episode of the Fire and Water podcast, the official podcast of AquamanShrine.net and FirestormFan.com. I'm one of your hosts, the Irredeemable Shag from Firestorm Fan. Along with me, as always, is my co-host, the superfluous Rob Kelly from Aquaman Shrine. How you doing, buddy? <laughs> We're hungover from the 100th episode celebration. We're going to muscle through this episode. Dude, we have jumped the shark, and it's just smooth. It's just, we're just—it's a downhill slope from here, man. I mean, it's—we don't even have to try anymore. You know, I mean, we we, we did the tank, went over the fit, the shark. Because see, a lot of people misunderstand it, the term "jump the shark." They think it means you screwed up, you're not doing good anymore. What it means is you peaked, because jumping the shark was the best thing ever. <laughs> yeah, and you can just never top that moment again so we've jumped the shark now i mean there's no coming back from that and uh now it doesn't really matter what we do so i'm i i didn't even read these comics we're gonna review these yeah days. and well also now that we've hit 100 episodes we can sell a show into syndication and that's where the money is so. <laughs> it's the aftermarket <laughs> it's gonna be dvd releases it's gonna be sweet this is this is awesome we're gonna do it like warner brothers though we're gonna have a dv we're gonna have a vanilla dvd release then um uh, of like individual blocks and then we'll do like a season DVD release, and then we'll have the, the, the Criterion <laughs> collection with like you know the commentaries. We're gonna have we're gonna have someone actually read Diablo Frank's comments aloud as DVD commentary. And um, anyway, you know it's funny you say that because just today I booked a, a meeting at Warner Brothers for my work. So it's like uh, I have got to get a picture of me on the lot. I got to get a picture of me like in front of the WB Shield or something like that. That's what you, sh- you should wear an Aquaman shirt underneath your like suit as like a like you know like an undershirt, and then just have you doing like a Superman rip with the Aquaman shirt. Yeah, that'd be professional, sure. But no one's around. You just do it like in the bathroom or something. My boss the, will be there. The water tower. You got to get the water tour tower. The, the the wackos in there uh-huh. anyway. All right, folks, uh, speaking of syndication and where the money is, I uh, want to thank our sponsor. <laughs> <laughs> this episode of the Fire and Water Podcast is sponsored in part by InStockTrades.com. InStockTrades is your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, all for up to 42% off with free shipping for orders of $50 or more. What do you have, Mr. Kelly? All right, I'm repeating a plug. I've never done that before in the however many times we've we've done an in-stock trades ad at this point, but I am repeating a plug. I'm because again, we're on the downhill slope, man. That's, I'm not trying anymore. Uh, no, I'm <laughs> I am replugging Sean Howe's book, Marvel Comics: The Untold Story. Uh, I stock uh, in-stock trades has it. The normal the normal price is fifteen ninety nine. In-stock trades is selling it for eleven ninety nine. When I plugged it the first time, I was about to read it. Now I've read it, and it. I read the thing in like less than – I think I read thing in like five days. It was one of the most pleasurable book reading experiences of my life. Wow. Not only is it well written and that you can follow the through line to what – you know, there's a lot of characters in it. There's a lot of people in it, but you can manage to keep them all straight. But just hearing the grisly details – and they were grisly – of Marvel Comics from the 50s through the 90s was absolutely stunning. I brought it with me to work. I read it on my lunch hour. I brought it with, like, I, I, 
tried to squeak in every a page here and there everywhere I could. There were part there were there were times where I was literally falling asleep reading it because I was staying up way too late. I was like, one more chapter, just one more chapter, one more chapter. And then the fact that like I I know a lot, like maybe not a lot, but some of the people that are actually in this book, which has never happened to me before, I'm like they're talking <laughs> they're, they're talking about Jerry Conway. I know who that is. <laughs> it was it's a it's a marvel no pun intended marvelous book and it just it, it was stunning and the i will drop one factoid from this book there's a million things to learn even if you're a diehard comic book fan but there was a point in the early 80s where warner brothers was so upset with dc comics about how poorly the comic books were selling compared to how well the characters did in merchandising that warner brothers called jim shooter and offered Marvel the chance to license seven DC titles and publish them under the Marvel imprint. Wow. I, I knew Marvel had one time looked at buying Superman right. from DC. The titles were going to be – this is what they offered Marvel. Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, Green Lantern, Justice League, Legion of Superheroes, and the New Teen Titans. Holy crap! I that thought uh, my that mouth changed, that would have changed everything. I literally gasped when I read that. <laughs> what? And because of various legal things that was going on, Shooter passed, and he said he always regretted it. Can you imagine what that would have done to the comic book world? And this book is full of stuff like that. It is an, it is every bit as good. It's like um, Michael Chabon's The Amazing Adventures of Cavalier and Clay. It's like every bit as good as its reputation suggests. So get this book. And it makes me want to read every Marvel comic from the 70s. And if actually I'm going to do that, not everyone, but I'm going to go on this binge of 70s Marvel comics. I'm going to buy them Professor Allen style, which is like as cheap as humanly possible because I just want to read them. Uh, it is. It just makes you want to read Marvel comics. Uh, it, it's an amazing book. Cannot promote it enough. Marvel comics, The Untold Story, Insect Trades, eleven ninety nine. right. Uh, what's the normal retail on it? Fifteen ninety nine. Oh, that's a pretty. That's a good discount. Twelve you know, bucks go- is totally worth. Going forward, I'm not going to let you go first anymore. Okay. Because you make my recommendations seem so like meaningless and trivial. Because like <laughs> I pick just like a superhero comic, you know, okay. and you pick something meaningful. So my recommendation this time is, um, <laughs> you know, Sovereign Seven, Volume Two. Right. <laughs> I wish. So, uh, you know, Flash is coming. Or not Flash. Uh, Arrow is coming back for season three. And last season, Deathstroke was played a, was a big, big character, Slade, and it's so big that he's getting his own series, ongoing series again in the comics, and they're bringing him back. And so I wanted to pimp out his last ongoing series he had. It was it was a new Fifty Two initial launch title. It was just something called Deathstroke. This one is Deathstroke Trade Paperback Volume One Legacy. It was written by uh, Kyle Higgins and art by Joe Bennett and covers by Simon Bisley. This is a really underrated title. This was actually one of my favorite New 52s out of the gate. It's insanely violent. It's Deathstroke doing what he should do, which is being a jackass and killing a bunch of people. And it was a fun, fun read. There were some stories that you know made you think. There were stories where it was just crazy shooting everything. It was, and this is before Lifefield took over, so this is this is not that stuff. So that that changed the whole direction of the book. But uh, I recommend it. So if you want some Deathstroke and you want to get get it in trade, this is the one to grab. Deathstroke Trade Paperback Volume One Legacy. I had a lot of fun with it. Uh, re- normally retails for sixteen ninety nine. You can get it for forty two percent off right now, which gets you a price of nine dollars and eighty five cents. Hell of a deal. Now I'm also going to pimp one other trade paperback. From the future! It's not even in in-stock trades just yet. Uh, won't probably be for almost a year. But I will probably mention it on every single episode once it is in in-stock trades. I will repeat this entry every single time. Showcase presents Blue Devil Volume 1. Coming in early 2015. Oh, that's, that's a real thing? It's a real thing. Oh, that's nice. Finally. Collecting issues 1 through 18... And Fury of Firestorm number 24. So if you want any Fury of Firestorm comics, this is the only way I think you can get any actually wow. printed. <laughs> but it, primarily, you've got to own these Blue Devil comics, folks. Um, it's, it, it's pre-order from your comic shop as soon as you can. Anyway, that's in stock trades, folks. They're our sponsor. We sincerely appreciate the sponsorship of the Fire and Water podcast. Uh, again, that's InStockTrades.com, your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, all for up to 42% off with free shipping for orders of $50 or more. I got to mention, you talked about doing some quarter bin diving. Yes. I 
was digging through quarter bins a week ago today. The, the, a week ago, the day of this recording, I was in Columbus, Ohio, getting my grubby little fingers through box after box after box of quarter bin books, side by side, in the trenches, right there with little Russell Burbage, Professor Alan Middleton, Emily Middleton, and Aaron Bias. All of us hanging out together. It was awesome. Quite a group. It was. We were a ragtag motley crew. So um, we all got tattoos. It was. It was nuts. Um, but I did get a bunch of cool quarter bin books, and uh, I made Professor Allen buy a bunch and told him he had to review them on his show. We'll see how that turns out. <laughs> <laughs> so good stuff. I, I I also bought a Camelot three thousand trade paperback. Very nice. I I've never read it. Oh, that's such a great series. Like I I I thought I had. And then I flipped through. I'm like, oh, I've never read this. Yeah, great series. That's yeah, so. great series. All right. So, um, folks, we've done as we said, 100 under the belt, 101, the beginning of uh, Return to Greatness. Here, right here, folks. We're reviewing two new comics today. We're or not new, if you anyway. We're reviewing Aquaman number 34, and then we're going to review Fury of Firestorm Classic number 14 from 1983. Uh, Rob, with that, you want to take it away with Aquaman? Yes, uh, we're going to make this brief because, uh, as we mentioned, to Shang, as I mentioned, Shang off here before, we've done the last three episodes in a row that we did were mammoth episodes. And oh my gosh, <laughs> we're exhausted. So we, we <laughs> broke iTunes with the length. We're going to make this just like a little dessert. Uh, anyway, this uh, Aquaman is yes. Is an aperitif. Aperitif, yes. Aquaman has been busy the last couple of weeks. He's been all over the DCU. Not only was he in Aquaman number 34, he also appeared in Scooby-Doo Team-Up number 11 <laughs> with his fellow super friends. Uh, he appeared in Tiny Titans number 4, Return to the Treehouse. Uh, and he also, oh, my, daughter, my daughter bought that. It's a great book. I'll be reviewing it on the Shrine this week. And uh, he also appeared in uh, Flashpoints N number 1. So there was a very, very busy I'm sorry, what was the name of that comic? You heard me. Uh, no, no. Uh, try it again. Flashpoint's End. It's not what it's called. I'm calling it that. Oh, okay. That was intentional. I thought it you were mistaken. Inti- yeah, no, it was entirely on purpose. I'm sorry. Beating the joke into the ground. So, uh, style. yeah. Uh, so, anyway, Alchemy number 34 is by Jeff Parker. Uh, we have guest penciler Carlos Rodriguez, guest inker Bit. Uh <laughs> <laughs> it's my sister from when she was in third grade. And uh, I, yeah, I don't get it at all. And um, I guess it's half a bit in bite, maybe. And the colorist is Rain Barreto. This is the conclusion of the Chimera storyline. And of course, it picks up by the list that she left off, which is Aquaman visiting Stephen Chin in the hospital. And there is Chimera. They get into a giant fight. And this, you know, I like this issue, but basically the whole issue is just a giant fight. Um,. <laughs> They're down in the ocean. Kimura changes forms, and he shows that he can do all these various things that Aquaman can sort of tries to fight fight, fight off. But it's hard because Kimura can assume shapes. At one point, um, Aquaman calls two fish, two sharks, to attack Kimura. Kimura turns has the sharks turn back on Aquaman. Aquaman has to basically punch them to death to get him to leave them alone. And he <sighs> and they they their bodies twirl down to the bottom of the sea, which Aquaman is of course very upset about. He then drags the battle on land. Kamira thinks he think you're going to do better on here. I'm, I'm going to defeat you just as well here on land. He grabs a cop, throws him around, and causes all sorts of untold, discre- untold destruction. Meanwhile, the news media is starting to watch what's going on uh, from a couple of news cameras. So people see that Aquaman is fighting this creature. Aquaman punches Kamira through a um, like a, an oil tanker. Uh, and then uh, at one point, the Kamira puts Aquaman in a giant bear hug. He sort of does this real gross thing with his head and, like, gloms onto Aquaman's skull with his mouth. And they sort of have, like, a little symbiotic moment where we have a flashback where we see Aquaman as a former Atlantean king. Kamira in his former form as the Karakwan. Um, He tries to plumb Aquaman's mind and we see visions of Mira and some other stuff. Aquaman basically says, get out of my head. He breaks Kamira's concentration. Kamira in the uh, fight grabs a lamppost that has some like a lit lamppost. No, it's He's, a spa- it's a space it's like a space heater you see at an outdoor it, restaurant. Is it really? Oh, spa- yeah. okay. All right. I thought they were All right, never mind. Uh, so anyway, he grabs the heater. It accidentally uh, he has it in his hand when he comes in contact with the gas that's leaking from the tanker causing a giant explosion, uh, a full one-page jaja boom sound effect. 
<laughs> a, a what? You heard. Again, you heard me. Stop it. You're laboring these jokes. <laughs> so anyway, the news media is back reporting as Aquaman is cleaning up the damage. He's putting, you know, cars back, uh, writing cars back to their uh, proper sides. They find Kimura's skin just laying there, just like his, his outer skin. And they're like, uh, so whatever happened to Kimura? And nobody seems to know. And then, of course, uh, some kindly people find a naked guy laying in a bush. Who doesn't seem to know who or what he is. They put a blanket around him and take him and say they're going to go bring him to some doctors. And they say, hey, we'll figure it, We'll help you figure out who you are. There may be relatives worried about you. And the spooky-eyed Kamir, goes, Kamir guy goes, thank you. And that is the end of the issue. Which tells us Kamir, of course, will be back. Which he should. They, they put a lot of effort yes. in developing this new villain. Yeah, so I would have hated to see him just get killed off. Right well, when the explosion happened, that was my fear. I was like, oh, no. You know, like, they put too much effort into this guy, but I'm glad that they left an, an option for him. Yeah, I mean, Jeff Parker's, as has said, he's trying to give Aquaman some more villains outside of just Aquaman, uh, Black Man, and Ocean Master, and this is a way to do it. So, um, overall, I was, like, like a, I guess a little let down on this, because the, after this, such a buildup, it is just a giant fight. There wasn't a whole lot more to it than that. Um, I was disappointed that Paul Pelletier didn't get to do this issue um, as at the conclusion of the story. I would have liked to see him finish it off. Um, Carlos Rodriguez d- does fine enough work. Um, Aquaman is very squinty in this issue. He reminds me of like a Joe Schuster Superman. Um, so it's, and it's more cartoony than Pelletier. So, I mean, it was fine. It just, I don't know. I, I was maybe hoping for some other, something a little bigger, or grander or something like that. But still, it was, it was fun. And I like Chimera and I liked Aquaman being presented as sort of the hero of the town via the news media. After so many years of Aquaman, you know, being laughed at and scorned, it's nice to have him treated like he's Superman. I, uh, I agree with you about being let down about the art. Um, not again, not that they didn't do a, a good job, but like, you know, when, when Pelletier first took over, we we're like, you know, we like Pelletier, but we kind of miss the boys. You know, we kept saying that now we're here, the big finale, the big monster story. And now, I want Pelletier to do this. Pelletier is the monster Aquaman hunter artist. He's the guy I want to see draw monster hunting. Yep. And that's who I wanted for this story. So, yep. again, these guys didn't do a bad job. There's actually some some panels are very nice. Um, but it's just not who I wanted. Now, I will say, the more I look over the story, like initially I was kind of like, yeah, it was okay. Like you said, a big fight. I'm actually pretty okay with the, story, with the issue because it's a pretty big fight, but it's pretty big uh, scope of it i mean mm. you get a lot of different scenes you've got the scene underwater where you get to see all of his different abilities you know he's an eel he's a turkey fish or whatever you call those things a uh, lionfish i mean there's you know and then there's the, the the emotional moment with the shark where aquaman has to put him down yeah. and then the fight on the land and then you know when with the tanker it almost reminds me like of superman 2 superman which, is, too, yeah. which is a great epic fight so the more I think about it, it's actually a really well well constructed fight because it does. You get a lot of different environs. You get to see inside their heads. They get to touch psyches and they get to understand each other a little bit better. You know, so you know it's and, and the the means of his destruction is a weapon he uses to attack Aquaman with, which is that space heater. Mm. So it's actually the more I really look at it, it's actually a really well constructed fight, and I'm actually pretty pleased with that. So in general, you know. Fun issue. I just again, the art was really. I had a hard time getting behind. Um, there was a scene in the beginning with Shin that I didn't really get. Like Shin warns Aquaman to cover his face. How does Shin know that? Uh, I was about to call him Charybdis. That uh, Chimera can spit out this stuff. I mean, has he seen that before? I don't think so. Well, I'm wondering since he was involved in the creation of he well, wasn't though. Oh well, yeah, it's true. Yeah. So now yeah. I'm starting to wonder if maybe. There's been enough info dropping by Shin. Makes me wonder, maybe he was involved with the creation of Chimera, and we're going to find out that he's you know, still dirty dog. I don't know. they got to kill Shin off. Aquaman, you got to just done. you got to drop Shin. He's just going to have nothing but trouble. Never going to happen. And not until the series is over. Yeah. So. yeah. Um, in the middle, I, I really like this incredibly hot drawing of Harlequin. I think that's pretty sexy. Um, oh, wait, that's an ad. Never mind. Um, <laughs> It's very distracting, though. I'm just saying. So, you know, um, I think that's really all I've got. You know, the, the flashbacks, the flashback is actually where their joint psyche is really interesting for the way it's colored. Yeah. It's all orange. 
it's not particularly pretty, but it's incredibly effective. I mean, you know exactly what's going on here, you know? And uh, I thought it, it works to a good effect. Yeah, it looks like parchment paper, kind of. A little bit. It's a little bit. Sort of, sort of, but they're yeah. going for that effect. So, yeah, and again, I'm, I'm happy to see Aquaman be such an ass-kicker. Yep. Uh, you know, after, like, decades of him being knocked out by clumps of wood on the head, uh, <laughs> it's great to see him be, you know, like I said, this is a very Superman 2 fight. You know, it really is. Yep. So, uh, and and said, I'm happy to see Aquaman, you know, writing cars and stuff like that. It's, it's it's cool. He's like a hero again, and that's that's good. I mean, they've been doing that for a little while, but I always like to see it again. So, yep. So yes. what's what's next? Do we know what the next storyline is? Uh, what is the next? Well, in number thirty, what's next issue is the future's end thing. Um, I think we're gonna skip the future's end stuff, aren't we? Yeah, that's yeah. Yeah, um, and then I forget what's in thirty five. I forget what's in thirty five. I know that pretty in number thirty seven he takes on Gorilla Grodd. Sweet, that ought to be a friggin' rip. So, Wonder if that's a a way to you know help the you know tie into the Flash show or something. Maybe I don't know. That'd be yeah. So that'll be that ought to be a lot of fun. That ought to be a lot. Cool. Of fun. Yeah. Awesome. Absolutely. So so yeah. Anyway, that's Aquaman thirty seven. I like the other Aquaman stuff that was out there. The the Scooby Doo appearance was a lot of fun, and uh, the Tiny Titans, and you know, I'm happy that he's involved in Future's End, Flashpoint's End, whatever you want to call it. But we're not going to bother to get into that. Uh, we're going to stick to Aquaman number 34 here. So, well, and, and to be fair, folks, it's not that we're dissing on it. It's just that's a bigger ball of wax than we're ready to cover because you really it's very steeped in Future's End. Yeah. If you want to, and you know what? Here, there's a plug for my site. If you want to keep up with Future's End, um, feel free to hop over to FirestormFan.com. Uh, Tim Wallace, the guy who runs the Blue Beetle blog, Court Industries, has been kind enough to, once a month, give an update, uh, sort of a recap of what's going on at Future's End. Got some images, got the story, get your recap. You can get completely up to speed on Future's End if you haven't been reading the series. Go over to Firestorm Fan and look for Tim Wallace's post on Future's End. That's yes, the way to go. that's fun stuff. That's that's great that you got Tim in there doing it for you. That's cool. I love it. Tim's, yep. Tim's great. Yep. He's also a member of the Legion of Super Bloggers. Look at that. I worked it in somehow. Very nice. Well done. Like that. Smooth, right. especially the way I drew attention to it. Yeah. You guys have to put together <laughs> an ad or something so we can run it on the show. Which, yeah. Speaking of which, uh, we're going to run some ads for some uh, some of our favorite podcasts. And on the other side, we will talk about The Fury of Firestar number 14, classic. On the grounds of Supermate's estates, there stands an ancient crumbling abode. This structure is said to contain unimaginable horrors, certain to chill your blood. Dare you enter... The House of Frankenstein. You're insane. Don't tell me of it. I don't want to hear. I've changed my mind. I won't do it. In September and October, join the Baron Frankenstein and his bride. Woman. Friend, yes, I want friend. For four bone-chilling episodes, as they discuss some of your favorite classic horror films. I am Dracula, and I welcome you to my house. My name is Horace. And resurrect and dissect some of the greatest monsters in cinema history. There's an old poem. Even a man who is pure in heart and says his prayers by night may become a wolf when the wolf bane blooms. And the autumn moon is bright. But don't fear, comic fans. This house is full of dusty long boxes containing your favorite superheroes encounters with the supernatural. Oh, vampires, Batman. We're surrounded. Your horror host will unravel a harrowing adventure each episode. Now, Superman. You will feel the bite of Dracula. This house of horrors can be found at www.supermatescomic.blogspot.com or on iTunes by searching for Supermates. Go quickly. Go! Yes! Yes, I'm going! So, grab your crucifix and wolfsbane. Light your candle and explore the blood-soaked corridors of the House of Franklinstein. 
will be expecting you. Go now. And heaven help you. Meeting adjourned. A secret governmental organization operating behind the scenes. Task Force X. The Suicide Squad, ran by Amanda Waller. Checkmate, ran by Harry Stein. One group made up of villains, the other by the best agents our country has. Both doing jobs that need to be done, so you can sleep at night. These are the tales of DC Comics, Suicide Squad, and Checkmate. Monthly from Head Speaks. Available on iTunes and at headspeaks.com under Task Force X. Task Force X. Check it out. I'm so excited. Here we go. Oh, God. This is it, man. I've been talking about this for 14 months. <laughs> I kept telling you, my favorite Firestorm arc of any of any storyline is issues 14 to 18 and annual one. It makes this one six-issue long story. This is where it starts. I'm so excited. So, we are covering The Fury of Firestorm, The Nuclear Man, number 14. Cover dated July 1983. However, if you want a pristine copy of this, don't go looking in July because those copies are all going to be dog-eared because they've been on the shelf for three months. You need to go back to April 7th, 1983 to get a pristine copy that smell. It has that new comic smell from the 80s, you know? It's so good. Yeah, that's where you need to go. So hop in your DeLorean or your Wayback Machine and go back there and thank you to Mike's Amazing World of DC Comics for that date. This sucker is sporting a beautiful cover by uh, Mr. Pat Broderick and Dick Giordano with very, very uh, meticulously written signatures, by the way. You ever notice that? Their handwriting is really, really clear on these covers. <laughs> it is also featuring the straight Fury of Firestorm logo. It switched an issue or two ago. I don't know if you noticed or not, Rob. It used to have sort of a curve to it, right. the, the logo. And an issue or two, I think it was issue 12 or 13. I can't remember which one. Either way, it went to a straight across logo. And I failed to bring that up on the podcast, which uh, pissed off Roy Cleary to no end. And uh, yeah, I got, I got an earful for that. But so I personally, this is my Firestorm logo. This is the Firestorm logo that was in place when I started reading the book. When I think about Firestorm, this is the logo I think of. That's important. Okay. Thanks for your contribution. Okay. I, which I, what do you want me to say? You should be like, Shag, I can feel it, man. I totally see what you mean. This, this, this logo screen. Never mind. Anyway, so on the cover, you have this green and orange clad character who's wearing some sort of armor. Looks a bit Iron Man-ish, but uh, standing there. And it clutched in his hands is a really uh, uncon possibly unconscious, in very dire straits, Professor Martin Stein. Laying on the ground next to him is an unconscious Ronnie Raymond. And in the background is sort of a ghostly image of Firestorm's face. And the quote says, ever have one of those days. And it is a gorgeous friggin' cover. It tells you everything you need to know about the story. It tells you Ronnie and the Professor are in trouble. It tells you this new orange and green dude is bad news, and it reminds you that Firestorm's the star of the book, and it's got a great little sort of Spider-Man-like quote. I, I love it. What do you think, Rob? Yeah, it's good stuff. Yeah, and the cover quote is very, again, Jerry Conway channeling Stanley big time. Oh. oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Also, very important in the, in, the, in the history of comics, I believe this is the only comic book to cover to ever be graced with a bun-in-bun -bun uniform. So I don't think we will ever see that again. So Ronnie's wearing his bun and bun uniform. Oh, I didn't even. Re okay, I was like, what yeah, the hell this are you is the comic. About? Yeah, yeah this okay, is the one everyone, right. This is the one everyone's looking for. This is it right here. So, okay. So this sucker is 23 pages long. It's got it's like anywhere between six to nine scenes, depending on how you choose to break up a scene. But if you look at this story at a 10,000 foot level, this issue is a story of Professor Martin Stein. Very rarely does a middle-aged dude get to be the lead in a comic and this is his chance he's a down on his luck as i said middle-aged nuclear physicist recently fired and he he's in a position where he's going to take whatever kind of work he can get just to pay the bills so we see him struggling with unemployment we see him trying to make a um you know a a, a, a 
well, it's, it's fast food. We it, trying to make a fast food job work. And at the same time, there are villainous forces circling around him, working against him. And that's what this story really is at a 10,000 foot level. So we open this sucker up. The issue itself is called Enforcer. It is a Jerry Conway, Pat Brodrick, Roden Rodriguez, Adam Kubert, and Gene D'Angelo joint. And uh, starts off with our hero, hot-headed hero, flying through uh, the skyscrapers of New York. And he is totally dead set on where he's going. So much so, he's in so much a hurry, he accidentally disrupts a window washer who takes a tumble. And the window washer is falling. He's convinced he's going to die. And Firestorm swoops in and saves the guy. And the guy is super appreciative, and Firestorm's like, hey, no problem. And he, then he realizes how selfish he's being because he's the one who caused the man to fall in the start, first place. So Stein, uh, sorry, Firestorm splits. So Professor Martin Stein and Ronnie Raymond make their way to the Bun and Bun, which is your equivalent of, um, well, I was going to say McDonald's, but I guess not because the, the picture has a giant beer out there. Or maybe it's root no, beer. No, it's root beer, yeah. I think so. Okay, so it's a, it's, your, it's a fast food burger joint. So Ronnie has been working there for a couple for I think since the series began, and Professor Stein, as I mentioned, is down on his luck. He needs to make money to pay the bills. So Ronnie has gotten him this job at the Bun and Bun. So they go inside and they start working. And Professor Stein is the short order cook or, or cook or chef. Uh, chef's probably being too kind, and finds out just how hard it is to work in a place like this. I mean, the pace is incredibly punishing. He seems to be the only cook in an incredibly successful busy fast food restaurant which is sort of surprising and uh and he's not cutting it he's not cutting the mustard <laughs> i just made that up that's pretty good anyway and so the owner or the manager of the place just basically says stein we got a problem yep you're the problem so professor stein gets fired unfortunately after half a day at work ronnie raymond stands up for the professor and for that gets himself fired as well and Ronnie has sort of like a moment of clarity where he's okay with being fired because of what happened to him recently with the hyena scare. He sort of has put his life in perspective, and he's like, you know what? If this is the worst thing that happens to me today, not so bad. I didn't turn into a werewolf. <laughs> Meanwhile, uh, Clarissa Clemens, Professor Stein's ex-wife, uh, as I like to call her, the lilac-haired uh, uh Temptress, I think is what I said. Anyway, she's evil as sin. She's outside sort of reporting on Martin's downfall, and she calls up to this guy in green and orange armor I described from the cover, and his name, or the name he goes by is The Enforcer, and he says, okay, I'm coming down. So he comes down, tells Clarissa to get out of there, and he attacks Professor Martin Stein and Ronnie Raymond. And he's basically a big – Iron Man is the quickest summation I can come up with. He's sort of an Iron Man dude. I don't think he can fly, but he can certainly jump. He's got boots and gloves that look like Iron Man's, the green suit with orange. The biggest difference, he's got like a – I think kind of a cool, innovative-looking mask. I think it's kind of a cool um, – looks a little like know. a Cylon. Yeah, a little bit. He's got the single eye slit, and then he's got almost like a V sort of faceplate. And uh, I think he looks pretty cool design. I mean – it's kind of hard to come up with an ar- armored character that doesn't look derivative of another armored character. So given that constraint, I think Pat Broderick did a fine enough job, especially for a minor sort of heavy that features in an issue or two. And I don't know that there was big plans for him to become a recurring character at that point. So he comes down. He actually knocks around Ronnie and Professor, and he ends up kidnapping the Professor and takes him with him. Meanwhile, uh, we, it's cut, we get a, uh, a scene somewhere else where Lorraine Riley... Uh, daughter of Senator Riley is still being, and it's not so much torture, but being brainwashed. She's locked into a pitch black room. They're doing bright lights on her. Um, one guy, somebody in the shadows here is trying to show sensitivity towards her to sort of, you know, get maybe a, uh, uh, what is it, Helsinki syndrome effect going on, trying to get her to come to their side, blight and brainwash her. Stockholm Mean- syndrome. That's it. I, I screwed up and made the diehard joke. The diehard joke, yeah. Yeah, I made the diehard joke. I didn't mean to. Okay. So, meanwhile, we find out that Senator Riley, her dad, is being blackmailed. And there's this woman named Micah who's there to deliver the message, basically saying, um, you know, sorry about your daughter, but my employers care and they want you to do their bidding. So he realizes that in order to save his daughter, he's going to have to do whatever Micah's employer wants him to do. Then we get Ronnie waking up. He realizes uh, that the Professor Stein's been taken. Both Jefferson and Lorraine are asking him, not Lorraine, uh, Doreen are asking, what happened, Ronnie? And he's just giving him a total, I'll tell you later, spit, which has got to piss them off to no end. If I was Jefferson, I'd be like, dude, I've taken enough of your shit. What is going on? So Ronnie's trying to form Firestorm. He can't because Professor Stein has been 
as I said, kidnapped, and he's had something sort of almost welded or implanted on his forehead, which keeps him from concentrating enough, and he can't form Firestorm. So, uh, huge disruption there. They can't form the hero. But Ronnie then goes to Concordance Lab to try and figure out what's going on, to see if they know where Professor Stein is, doesn't have any luck, runs into Harry Carew, uh, doesn't really go anywhere with that, but we get to see Harry trying to redeem himself for being the prick he is and causing all of this to happen. All of this is Harry's fault, by the way. Because Harry dug that tape out of the trash, that where Professor Stein revealed who that he was right, firestorm, right. and that's why these people who kidnap him have all this information. It's all Harry's fault. Anyway, Stein realizes that where the Enforcer has taken him is a recreation of his lab at the Hudson uh, Nuclear Power Plant, and he's like, "Wow, how could this be? How could anyone know exactly what my lab looked like at Hudson you know, Nuclear Power Plant? Not many people ever went there." Hmm. If you think back, listeners, we know someone who was at that nuclear power plant, don't we? Anyway, uh, Professor Stein uses the equipment there to try and disrupt the little things that have been stuck to his forehead uh, long enough for him to form Firestorm. And he does! Hooray! Firestorm shows up uh, at this secret hidden laboratory. He starts blasting around. He does something really nasty where he turns the floor into hot tar to stop a bunch of guys who I think are doing nothing other than going on a coffee break. But either way, uh, they're not going anywhere now. And Ronnie is attacked again by the Enforcer, uh, or I should say Firestorm is attacked by the Enforcer, who has picked up a half ATST, half uh, Superman Power Slammer. Or, uh, no, who had the Super Power Slammer? Was it uh, Calabac, the Basher? I think so, yeah. How Kenner never made this, I don't know. I, 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 you know what? I suspect they were planning this sort of thing. Like maybe they were putting some seeds here because it looks like it's half ATST from Star Wars and half uh, Calavac Smasher or whatever it was. And so Ronnie takes a, or Firestorm, I should say, takes a big old hit and is knocked to unconscious. And he, when he wakes up, they've attached the disruptor pods to his head. So now Firestorm is sort of uh, out of sorts and can't quite get himself together, which is a smart move. If you, if you can capture Firestorm, you've got to disrupt his concentration so he can't just blast the shaz out of you. And the Enforcer's there, and he says, aha, it worked. Capturing Firestorm in stages worked like a charm. And the villain turns around. We find out that the person Enforcer was working with is Multiplex. Dun, 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 dun. And that is the end of this issue. It says, next, Multiple Madness. And you bet to be continued. I do love there's a giant full-page shot of Multiplex, and he goes, Multiplex wins! So, although, I, I think he's supposed to have a mustache. I don't know where his mustache is. I miss his 70s porn mustache. Anyway, so what do you think, buddy? Uh, this is one of my favorite issues so far. Uh, I really, you know, in fact, I like the Enforcer so much that I had to go back and look him up in Who's Who, because I didn't remember him in Who's Who, and then I looked back to, oh, okay, he... He got a half page. He got a half Well, she got a half page. Hey, 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 spoilers! Well, I, but we already covered that on Who's Who. Um, no, Listen, I, Fire, Fire and Water and Who's Who are completely independent no, shows. I don't, think, I don't think people listen to either. I don't think anyone listens to both. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, yeah, I really like The Enforcer, like, a lot. And the th- one of the reasons I liked him is because Jerry Conway gave him a very distinct personality. Um, one of the things about, like... The, the complaints about the Marvel movies, which I think is a valid, is like all the villains are very generic. And my only my only fault with um, Guardians of the Galaxy was I thought Ronan the Accuser was fairly dull as villains go. Um, and then you think, why is it so hard to make like interesting villains? Why can't you make you know uh, Hans from Die Hard again or Belloc from Raiders of the Lost Ark? I mean, it's just it's just some French guy. Uh, and there's something about that they made those guys distinct with their personalities and the enforcer has a very distinct personality i mean like you said the, the, you know he's basically just an armor guy mm-hmm. power wise he's nothing anything remarkable but i love like when he picks up martin stein and he has this whole rant about new york new york yeah i just thought that was really interesting like he's just got some really he just doesn't like this city and he may I, I don't know it's like i really i don't want to say i found him charming it wasn't charming but it was just i found him very interesting and very compelling to read about he, he was dis- he was distinct. He's very distinct. So this and and like he was like the almost the focus of the issue. So I really like this one. Okay, As I, I hadn't thought about the the development of the character. That's a good point. He uh, now it's funny that you mentioned the New York rant because I uh, he's basically saying New Yorkers will stand up to a purse snatcher, but when the chips are really down, they all run and hide. Right. Well, this comic would not fly nowadays. 
because um, after 9-11, you know, New Yorkers have a reputation for sticking up for their well, own nowadays. Well, but he is a bad guy, though. I mean, you're proving that he's he's wrong or something. True. You know, I guess that's but... true. Uh, you know, I, I One quick little side tangent. You mentioned the Marvel villains are all sort of generic. I think that's on purpose. I think they are trying not to create hot, popular bad guys, which Marvel actually Comics itself does really well. But I think they're trying to make sure the focus of the movie is the heroes. Like, from what I understand, the aliens that attacked in Avengers, they are completely nondescript. And I think that's completely intentional. I think they want the villains to be generic so you focus on the heroes and it doesn't become a, you know, cheering for the Darth Vader sort of character. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I don't think it helps the movies, though, if you have – if all the villains are just completely unmemorable. I mean, everybody everybody remembers Indiana Jones, but there was a really good villain. Everyone remembers John McClane, but there was a really good villain. So, yeah. I, yeah, it's true. Um, all right. So let's see. From the beginning, if you start off at the beginning of this issue, like the first few pages, the art is stunning in these first few pages. Like I really think – Pat and Roden spent a lot of extra time on these pages. Like the the scene where the window washer is falling and Firestorm swooping in to save him. Like, I don't know what it is about the line work there and the in the shadowing and stuff. It just looks to me like, wow, someone spent some time on this. And it just looks gorgeous. It just it makes my heart sing when I see these pages. It makes me so happy. Um, I love the idea of Stein having to take what he perceives to be sort of a menial or blue-collar job and then finding out just how hard it is. Right. You know, that, that's, uh, that speaks volumes about, you know, the intellectuals who think they're above certain kinds of work. And because I've always, you know, I, I just, anyway, I just like that scene. I think it's really well done. And I don't, I don't think Jerry was trying to preach anything there, but I think he was trying to make a point that, you know, even the most – quote-unquote menial job is still a really tough job. So I like that. I like the, uh, the, the, the descriptions of the food, the menu items for the bun and bun. They sound mm-hmm. horrible. The, sounds, the food there sounds terrible. The mammoth burgers. There's <laughs> mustard fries with tartar on the side. There's a prune pie. I mean, it's just, they, they, it sounds like the worst food imaginable. <laughs> I think it's supposed to be. That yeah, could be exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I can't remember what happens to Clarissa Clemens, but I really hope she like dies in a fire or something. I hate that character so much. So, I mean, I, I'm fine with her being in here because she's effective. So, I guess what I'm saying is she's effective as a villain because I hate her. So, I guess that's probably means that Conway did a good job. But I really hate that character. Uh, we've we've talked about the Enforcer already. Not worth really going into again. Um, let's see. No, no rounded corners on the flashback, so I was, I was utterly confused. I was just noticing that. I was just noticing that. Maybe it wasn't a flashback. Maybe he, he had to relive it at that moment. <laughs> I do like how uh, Enforcer like shreds a trash can just to make a point, you know, things like that. It's, it's cool. This, this uh, torturing or brainwashing of Lorraine Riley is really sort of heartbreaking. I feel so bad for her. You know, I mean, this is two or three issues now we've seen her in this sort of situation. And clearly that's Multiplex doing it to yes. her because that's his yeah. helmet. And it's just like, oh, poor girl. And that's going to resolve itself in this storyline, and you're going to see where it leads to. And, uh, wow. Um, by the way, in Senator Riley's office, the lady who came with the suitcase to, to show him Lorraine R- Riley. Yeah. Her name is Micah. Yeah. Keep, keep an eye on her. Yes. You'll see her. Yes. You'll see her again. Uh, and, again, I love this idea that they put these mental disruptors on Stein, which prevented him from creating Firestorm. And they did the same thing to Firestorm to sort of you know, keep him off balance. I think that's a great move. At first I sat there and thought, okay, wait a minute. So this whole thing was an elaborate ruse to kidnap Firestorm. Why would you kidnap Stein and then Firestorm? Why not just kidnap Ronnie and the professor at the same time? And I guess I started thinking it through. I'm like, well, if you had Firestorm kidnap right now, well – I don't know. Maybe it doesn't make sense. You know, the staggered approach at kidnapping Firestorm. Maybe they should have just scooped up Ronnie and the professor at the same time. But then again, maybe they wouldn't be able to merge and they wouldn't have been... I, I don't know. I'm struggling with that. As part. Mike Bailey would say, because comics. Because comics. Yeah. There we go. Okay. I love the enforcer's button on that whenever, when he's torturing uh, Stein and he goes, Hurts, doesn't it? That's the whole idea. <laughs> Now look again at Enforcer's Super Tank here, uh, his you know Kenner action figure in the making. Those are clearly the feet of an ATST. Yes. You know, yeah. Folks, what you, what you've got is a very, you know, 
it really does look like a, t- a, a toy model because it has the feet again of an ATST. It's got three of those feet. It's got lots of like it looks almost like an Al Williamson drawing from the Star Wars comic. Actually, the way it's got the lines. I mean, it even sort of like echoes a Star Wars toy. And, it, and Enforcer sits in it, and it's got this giant battering hammer that swings, which is sort of ridiculous, but has but makes a great toy action. You know. You could have called um, it the Enforcer. It could have been the Enforcer's Enforcer. Oh, that's perfect. Yeah, but I mean, think about this. This is two thousand. All right, this is nineteen eighty three. Um, Superpowers line is coming out next year. You know, they probably were doing some of the early designs for it already. So I don't know. Maybe they were saying. Maybe they were telling the artist, "Hey guys, anywhere you can slip in a, a an extra vehicle, do it." <laughs> probably. And you know, with his very unique and uh, very sharp color scheme, Enforcer would have made a great Superpowers figure. Yes, he I would. say that about most characters because I would have loved to have seen anything in Superpowers, but he especially, I think, would have looked really sharp. Yeah, well, green and orange complement each other well. Oh, wait, never mind. That's almost a nice comment to you. Almost. For, for Aquaman. So uh, then in the letters page, Jerry answers some letters, and he goes into the differences between a embellisher and an inker, which is kind of nice. He's giving Roden some compliments, basically saying, you know, an embellisher does more than just an inker. They, there's more work there where it frees up Pat to not have to completely finish the piece, and he can move on to the next page, and it allows Roden to come in behind him and really, you know, knock it out of the park. So... Cool stuff. And we find out that the picture, remember there was a picture cover a couple issues ago where Firestorm was flying around and you could see oh, New right, York City the behind it. We yeah, yeah, saw yeah. a VW bug and everything. Turns out their production assistant took that picture. He like leaned out of the window <laughs> of their DC offices and snapped that picture himself. That's great. <laughs> so, And then the, the final page, you actually get a stat, a photo stat of next issue's cover. And it's a Firestorm fighting a bunch of multiplexes. And, uh, I, well, you know, I'll save it for next episode. But uh, the, the cover language on that one is hilarious. <laughs> so, man, I'm, I love this. I'm so excited. Gosh, they need to collect these issues. Uh, they do. So bad. Yeah, that's ridiculous. These have not been collected. That's crazy. It is utterly ridiculous. I mean, we, we've seen the figures. You know, we talked earlier about how uh, Marvel thought about buying Superman at one point. And when they did that, they did a bunch of market analysis. And Rob and I have seen one of those documents at least showing sort of sales figures for DC's comics in a particular month, Fury of Firestorm sold a crap ton of copies. It outsold, like, Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman, if I remember right. Uh, it was nuts how many copies they were selling of Firestorm. And it was this version of Firestorm. Not the other stuff they've reprinted. They've reprinted almost every other inca- incarnation of the series, except for this volume. And this is the volume that sold best of all. Yeah, makes so, no sense. I know. We need the trade. I am... Waiting for the trade. Yep. So, but hopefully with his appearances on The Flash, it'll finally get themselves in, in, in gear here. Make it happen. I, was, I thought you were going to say in his appearances here on the Fire and Water podcast. Right, and here on the Fire and Water podcast. Because <laughs> after 101 episodes, DC's going to sit up and pay attention. That's right. <laughs> They're going to go, oh, these guys are serious. They're really doing this show. They reached 100 episodes. They weren't just goofing. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> anyway. All right. Um, that's all I've got, man. Um just so excited. Can't wait for the next few issues. Oh, there's some good stuff ahead. And, uh, and with that, Rob, why don't you tell people where you can, they can find the Tumblr so they can see some images from these comics. Fireandwaterpodcast.tumblr.com. And the email is, as always, firewaterpodcast at comcast.net. Great. If you want to find Rob on the interwebs, please check out aquamanshrine.net. You can also find him on Facebook, Twitter, and Google Plus under the same handle. And I'm going to throw in a plug. Just to mention, because uh, you've been plugging Legion of Super Bloggers every freaking episode, uh, as part of that new line of Charlton comics that, that is coming out now, there's the Charlton Arrow and Charlton. Yeah. Uh, there is a new comic coming. It's going to come out next year. It's called, with a great title, Paul Kupperberg's Secret Romances. <laughs> and it is, a, it is a modern romance. Two issues. I think it's just set to be two issues for now. Uh, but it's a modern era romance comics written by Paul Kupperberg. Uh, oh, wow. Featuring other people, and some of the artists involved um, is well. The, one of the other writers is Roger McKenzie, who wrote Daredevil for a little while back in the seventies. Uh, but some of the artists involved are um, uh, Joe Staten, mm. and covers by Jose Luis Garcia Lopez. Praise, praise be his, be his name. name, and uh, somebody named Rob Kelly. So no that's freaking be... <laughs> way. <laughs> yeah. That's my name awesome. does my name does not belong there at all, but I'm I'm doing the spot illustrations for two text pieces that Paul wrote. 
So I'm very honored. I do not belong on that list at all, but I am just thrilled as punch just to have my name even listed there at all. So it ought to be. I've read some of the stories. Paul gave them to me in pencil form uh, a couple of years ago, and they're really good. They're really fun. They're 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 simultaneous. They're not poking fun at the romance genre. They're they're humorous, but they're not like crapping on romance comics. Like they're genuinely romance comic stories. Uh, I think he thought he th- I, 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 with the stories I read. I think he thread the needle really well, and so it ought to be a lot of fun. That series coming out, and uh, yeah, and uh, you'll have art by Staten, Lopez, Kelly. <laughs> well, good for you, man. That's Thank awesome. You. Thank you. Congratulations. I can't wait to see those covers by Jose. Those ought to be amazing. Oh, they're going to be stunning. Yep. So. Um, well, you can find me over at firestormfan.com, also on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, Google+, and Instagram under the same handle. I guess I should mention where else you can find me. You can also find me on a site called the Legion of Superbloggers.blogspot. <laughs> Hold on. .blogspot.com. Uh, we also have a Facebook group. Uh, just broke 1,000 uh, followers, which is great. But, um, Did you really already? Yeah. I'm the wow. Man. They're calling me Marketing Lad. Um, and in, in, in our secret Legion chat anyway. Um, and, uh, also you, you can find me on a regular basis on who true freaks, which is a doctor who podcast as part of the two true freaks network. I don't mention that enough and I should, um, because you know, it's something I do anyway, uh, with that folks, thank you so much for listening. Thank you for coming back after a hundred episodes and here's to another hundred and, uh, they're going to be great. And we, we got more sharks to jump, so we ain't done yet. <laughs> And uh, with that, folks, uh, fan the flame and ride the wave. Aquaman and Firestorm fighting crime together. Soak them down or burn them up. No one does it better. Whenever you find trouble, they'll always be there to catch them in a bubble or even torch them. San Francisco, sprawling, picturesque, dynamic, eighth largest cosmopolitan city in the United States. Like every big city, it has its share of crime and violence. God! Don't let him kill me! He wants the car right now! San Francisco is the only city with a cop like Dirty Harry. What are you gonna do? Give him one. Clint Eastwood is the enforcer. 